Welcome to Green and Gold Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the Green Bay Packers kept winning. Uh, it's their first time that they've had back-to-back wins since earlier in the season. Uh, this time they came home to Lambeau Field for the first time in a month, and they defeated the Houston Texans in a snowy game, which is always fun, by a final score of 21-13. to um, A little bit of an odd game because of the weather, but for the most part, uh, the Packers took care of business in the way that we expected. And Matt, I don't know about you, but after... The debacle of Saturday night, which for this weekend as a football fan in the state of Wisconsin is weighing much more on my mind than the Green Bay Packers uh, game yesterday. It was so nice after that heartbreak of Saturday night to have a relatively routine win on a picturesque snowy day in Green Bay to enjoy. Yeah, I completely agree. After feeling so down from that, you can start to feel a little bit better and maybe... Some of that excitement that we've had all on the Badgers for now for a couple of months, it can sort of shift back to the Packers now, um, and they do it in a convincing way pretty much. I know it's only an eight-point game, but controlled it really from start to finish. So I've, even though you know Houston had a winning record, they're not a great team, but it's still to be able to handle a team like that that's you know been doing okay this season and with a pretty good defense felt good. Yeah, and Houston is uh, one of those teams in the league that seems to encapsulate about 20 of the teams in the league this year that I don't really know what to expect from a week-to-week basis, and they looked pretty much as lethargic as I expected them to look. Uh, But I think the Packers handled the elements well, and I think that kind of tightened things up a little bit. You you think that maybe the Packers could have scored much more, especially uh, had more success through the passing game had it been a nicer day out. Um, But one thing that I noticed looking at the box score that really creates kind of a crisis of conscience for a stat geek like me is that Brock Osweiler was 22 of 35 for 202 yards, two touchdowns, and a 97.6 passer rating. Aaron Rodgers, 20 of 30, 209 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 108.9 passer rating. If you didn't watch the game and you'd look at those, you'd think that Brock went... Uh, head-to-head with Aaron Rodgers, matched him throw for throw because their stat lines are almost identical. But if you actually watch the game, it wasn't even close. Oh, yeah, completely agree. And I, I'm surprised, actually, to see that uh, stat line for Osweiler, too, because other really than that last touchdown drive they had, he didn't feel like he played well at all. And kind of was the reason they couldn't get anything going. So I, th- I thought uh, Rodgers was sharp. Um, 20 of 30 is not extremely impressive for 209 yards, but in those elements and just kind of watching him, it felt like he was still kind of keeping that momentum going. He's started the last month or so. Yeah, and he did have the big mistake down by the goal line where he fumbled the snap, but uh, if that hadn't happened, it would have probably looked even more decisive on the scoreboard. And like you said, a lot of Brock's yardage came on that last drive when they just had a blown coverage to DeAndre Hopkins. So, um, But... Brock Osweiler, and we should talk about Aaron Rodgers because he clearly is back, and we apologized to uh, Devontae Adams a few weeks ago when we blamed him for never being to uh, never having a chance to be any good, and I think perhaps we need to apologize to Aaron Rodgers for ever doubting that he wasn't one of the best three quarterbacks in the NFL because over this last month, he's really proved it, and especially once you start comparing him to guys who are who is the pool that everybody else has to choose from, like Brock Osweiler. It uh, makes him even look that much better, especially this is a guy that uh, was courted by many teams and is uh, as rich as anybody in the NFL, and uh, Aaron Rodgers made him look like a high schooler. Yeah, absolutely, and I I think I will at least preface that by saying that, you know, I don't I don't know if we necessarily need to apologize because he wasn't a top-three quarterback in the NFL for about a full season. True. So I... I, maybe in the the doubting that he'd get it back, because I agree. I, I think he's back to being at a very high level, even with maybe the receiving talent around not being as great as he's used to having. He's still starting to play really well again, not missing some of those throws, looking a little bit more decisive in the pocket. So I, I would agree. He's he's back, and I love watching him play again, but I don't think I'm going to apologize for the, the, the full season plus of kind of a weird, subpar, bizarro Aaron Rodgers we saw. I'm going to agree with that. Um, I'm glad you prefaced that because Corey Benton called us out for being too happy last week, which is weird for me. I've never been accused of being too happy when it comes about the Packers, but um, I will agree with that. He he was absolutely deserving of the criticism that he got for his play the, the last year plus, but perhaps I want to apologize for implying that I didn't believe, or I, for, believing there was a reasonably good chance that he would never get it back. And and he hasn't. He's not 2014 or 2011, but he's not the uh, useless Joey Harrington uh, uh, impersonator that he was for about a year there. 
Yeah, I think we were all just so scared at the possibility of that happening and for seeing it for such a prolonged period of time that it was hard not to be afraid of that. You know, even as much as I didn't believe it was possible, it, it just seemed like after every week, you just kind of like, man, this is actually maybe happening now. And it's super relieving for the franchise. I mean, they still have a lot of work to do to make this team better, but it's super relieving to see this turn around. Yeah, it's definitely relieving. But now that you brought that up, it almost makes the skid even more confusing because they have no running game to speak of whatsoever right now. And we talked last year, the whole uh, revelation of the 2015 season is that Aaron Rodgers, as good as he is, can't do it alone. And he's not this transcendent guy like Tom Brady who can go out there with 10 other bums and win a division every single year. And obviously that's a little bit uh, unfair to the Patriots, but he, he does it with a lot of different guys. There's there's a few staples and he usually has one. He's got Gronk or some other go-to guy and the rest of these guys are just a bunch of no-names that seem to be completely interchangeable. And Aaron Rodgers, it, it it looked like it wasn't that. And he had Eddie Lacy, maybe not the best Eddie Lacy, but he had him last year. And James Starks was playing okay last year and uh, still couldn't do anything. And then this year, now he's got nothing for a run game. I think Eddie Lacy's still the leading rusher of this team, and he hasn't played a game since week five or six. And he's just tearing it up, and it almost... It makes you feel better about Aaron Rodgers, but it almost makes his down period that much more confusing because if he's able to do it now with wide receivers playing feature running back, then why wasn't he able to do it when he had a pro bowler in the backfield? Yeah, it's sure. I mean, if you could chalk it up to coaching, we've we've talked about that at nauseum and how it seems like they're being a little bit more creative on offense now too, but uh, there was clearly something off with him too. And it just, you know, a season to shake off something like that, some rust or yips or whatever with the, the accuracy and the indecisiveness. Mm-hmm. It's weird that something like that would last for that long of a period of time. Well, clearly from the Yahoo Sports uh, comments, it's Olivia Munn's fault. And uh, Aaron Rodgers also having any opinion at all uh, about politics or anything outside of football because he's not focusing on football every single second of the day like these Yahoo commenters do about their jobs. Uh, So I think that's probably why. He's now 100% of his waking seconds is devoted to football. That's what I'm guessing. I can't tell if you're talking about like the source being Yahoo or that these guys are just Yahoo. (laughs) Um, It's the Yahoos in the comments beneath articles on Yahoo. They're the craziest people on earth, and it makes you want to get a one-way ticket to Mars. Yahoo Yahoos. Yeah, exactly. So um, it uh, it's like a car crash. You can't help but kind of look down there. But there's the craziest people you'll ever see. That that has to be amongst the worst comment section on the internet. But that's for a different podcast to discuss. Uh, so Aaron Rodgers, uh, I guess before we move on, um, Brock Osweiler, he he wasn't that bad yesterday, but I feel like yesterday is about as good as he's ever going to be, and nobody can come out and publicly say it, but there has to be some huge buyer's remorse on the part of the Houston Texans. Oh, and I'm sure down in the Houston market, I, they're talking about it plenty. I, I've heard a couple of grumblings here and there from like the national stuff, but I can imagine that they're freaking out a little bit, and it just seemed like definitely it, it's hard to fault them almost though because they're a franchise that they're only they've only been a quarterback away basically with a good defense and good running backs or whatever for you know since Schaub was in his prime for a couple of years and actually played well, but then again even before that, um, yeah. you know they've been missing a quarterback for basically fourteen of the sixteen years of their existence, and even then it wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you've got a good team in place. You've got J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins. There's nobody really available on the market, especially not better. So you see a guy with some upside, and you spend way too much money on him, and this can happen. Um, Maybe you give him some credit for going for it, but he's definitely a guy that didn't look great last year when he played for the Broncos, and I think it's pretty clear at this point that he's not going to be an elite-type quarterback. Yeah, and... I don't even know if he's going to be a run-of-the-mill quarterback. Like, I don't think he can get to a Jay Cutler level of production on a consistent basis. Um, and Denver tried real hard to keep him, didn't they? I, I know um, they weren't that sad to see him go, but it's not like they completely gave up on him and then he signed with Houston. Uh, I know retroactively people are giving Elway a lot of credit for seeing Brock's limitations and that the team was good enough to maybe still make a run at it with Trevor Simeon and, and those guys, but... They still try to get him, right? It's not like Houston would have had any inkling that Denver thought he was a useless bum. 
Right. I, I mean, Houston just outbid them, basically. they Denver was at least smart enough to have a ceiling for what they were willing to spend, but they definitely seemed to like the guy still. Yeah. Um, I'd, we're going to keep seeing this, though, with the crazy, you know, the salary cap room and the numbers these quarterbacks are getting. There's going to be a bunch of teams. We're used to seeing teams get handicapped because they can't draft or find a quarterback. We're going to start seeing it where they're paying just a ton of money to these guys. And I, I feel like it's going to happen to Washington now with Kirk Cousins. They're going to have to give them like $25 million a year or something crazy like that. Yeah. And these teams that are strapped with these average to below average quarterbacks, they can't afford to get any other position. We're seeing it with the Colts now, too, and Andrew Luck's pretty darn good. Yeah, and I, I think if any of those newer guys deserve it, it's definitely Andrew Luck. I mean, Tannehill got six years, $96 million, which is small compared to what some of these other guys got, but he's certainly not worth that, even even him playing okay this year. And what sucks for Houston is that they've, they were 9-7 and seven the last two years, so they're not in a good draft spot for either of those. And the year they drafted Jadavian Clowney, number one overall, the other quarterbacks taken in the first round were Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, and Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Derek Carr was the fourth pick of the second round, but uh, it's not like everybody was clamoring uh, that thought that Derek Carr was a can't-miss prospect. So maybe Houston could have wished they would have got him instead of uh, a guard in the second round. But it's it's not like they passed on Andrew Luck or something to, of that uh, nature and drafted an injury-prone defensive end instead. Yeah, that's the one they've got to kick themselves Though I mean, not taking Carr in the first round, but that second round, you you can imagine they're frustrated about that one now too, with how well he's played. But you would, I just kind of feel like even had it gone to like the third or the fourth rounder, just because of the last name, they probably would have never taken him. Oh, I didn't even think of, of that. How things went the last time. I mean, to hinge your franchise on another car if that goes bad, that's <laughs> that looks really really bad for your franchise. Well, and that would have been really tough for Derek to try to comp- – he would have got questions about that constantly. And um, granted, he's been pretty darn good from the get-go, but you would imagine that his leash would have been a lot shorter rather than going to Oakland where uh, they'd been bad for years, really haven't had a good quarterback in – I mean, they had Rich Gannon for a, a few years in the twilight of his career, but for the most part, they haven't had a real big franchise quarterback since Stabler, so people were just happy to see a guy do something. At least he's yeah. not Andrew Walter or Matt McGloin. <laughs> Andrew Walter, yep. <laughs> So, yeah, wow, that, that's a really good point. So enough about the Houston Texans. They're such a boring team. Uh, I don't know why we're talking about them, but the Packers wide receivers have been anything but boring this year. Uh, last I saw, which is a couple of weeks ago now, that they lead the NFL in catches by wide receivers. And even in the snow yesterday, you had Randall Cobb getting the short stuff, Jordy Nelson almost uncoverable one-on-one during jump balls. And Devontae Adams didn't do quite as much, uh, but he got his hands on the ball a few times. And even in the time he stepped out of bounds, he still showed uh, how much better he's gotten uh, after the catch and really uh, putting forth kind of the physical mismatches that we hoped he would be able to and uh, manhandling some of those Houston defenders. Right, and and Jared Cook, um, really the last couple weeks has looked like they've really got something now that he's healthy too. So yeah. Yeah, I think kind of all those things together. You, you now you have a receiving core that you know maybe still isn't the best or most most athletic, but I start to feel a little bit better about them now as the season goes on. You feel like with the way they're utilizing these guys, they might actually not be as bad as we were kind of thinking when nobody could get open. You know, mm-hmm. in the first eight weeks of the year. Well, and you texted me some real high praise for Devontae Adams yesterday, so I, <laughs> I bet you stand by that decision. I do. Yep, played great again. <laughs> Uh, who did not play great? Uh, those those receivers, like we we heap praise on them quite a bit, and they deserve it. Rogers uh, played well, and Cook is a good mention because he's really what it's only been two or three games since he returned from injury, and he he's not really showing that much rust. Uh, granted, they're not making him Gronk and having him be the focal point of the offense, but he's certainly finding his spot and always seems to have an impact driver to a game. Right. Um, but the running game. It, looked better with Ty Montgomery yesterday. He actually looked like a legitimate running back, having played it for about a month and a half. I think James Starks is done. Yeah, I would agree, or I would hope so. I mean, four carries for a yard yesterday, and then everybody else, basically, um, Ripkowski, four and a half. Uh, Aaron Rodgers ran for over five. Montgomery for 6.7. It's not like nothing was there. He just... He doesn't have burst. He doesn't have athleticism. He's always kind of gone in spurts of seeming to not be able to find the holes or hit them right. I feel like mm-hmm. it seems like every other year he kind of comes around, and this is definitely not a good year for him. He's looked just unathletic and bad for most of the year, and just you got to feel like you've got better options on the roster. 
Yeah, and he's 30 years old. Um, like you said, he, he's always kind of run upright, but now he's not able to slash like he had kind of been his M.O. Um, he, he's okay catching the ball out of the backfield from time to time, but right now he's got 61 rushes for 142 yards. That's 2.3 yards per attempt, and his longest carry is 11 yards. Um, man, when does his contract go through? I, I thought he signed an extension after 13 but I feel like he might – is this his last year? I wonder because if, even if not, I think he's definitely at risk of being on the chopping block, and I doubt he'll – he'll. I think if as soon as he leaves the Packers at this point, I doubt he'll ever play again. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I, it, with that big of a sample size already for the year, it's hard to keep pounding your head against the wall when, you know, even you got a guy like Kristen Michael who maybe didn't put up the yards yesterday, but just looked like a better running back out there. You've got Montgomery who could even be your starter for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree. I I think they're comfortable with him, and that's, I mean, you see guys like Andrew Corliss or him stick around forever on the roster because you think it's just a reliable guy for Rodgers to have out there, but it, the production is so bad, you could maybe throw him out there just for pass protection. That's about it yeah even though that's not exactly his strong suit but at least he can maybe know the plays I feel like you'd rather have Ripkowski out there if you're going to do that the thing about Christian Michael I thought he looked good yesterday and had uh, some bursts was able to get through some holes but he really showed that he's a guy from Texas because him running in the snow he had both hands on the ball from the second he touched it like he was an offensive lineman who just recovered a fumble. Uh, it was really, I just thought that was kind of funny that he looked like he was carrying a ball that was made completely of ice and was terrified that he was going to drop it. Well, for a guy who played in the NFC East and in the NFC West as a pro in Texas in college, it's he, he probably never had a game like that before. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sure not, but it, it just was, it was a stark contrast when a, you know, a bunch you know, we're two native Wisconsin guys and it's snowing like crazy yesterday and you still go out without a coat on if you have to go out for a minute. But it just, he acted like it was guaranteed that if you carry the ball with one hand in the snow that you're definitely going to fumble. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I guess he didn't fumble. And if he would have fumbled with how precarious his spot on the roster probably is, it would have jeopardized his job. So I guess uh, it was smart on him to yeah, take all the go. precautions necessary. All right, let's talk about the defense. So they only allowed 13 points. They didn't give up that many yards, I think, in part because of the elements. So they still gave up 300 yards, but only 184 yards net passing. Um, But to me, I thought the bend but don't break worked a little bit yesterday. But, man, I was getting irritated by, what, three or four third and pretty longs that they gave up on the ground, a bunch to Brock Osweiler and some actually designed runs. That's certainly a scary uh, thing to see with Seattle coming to town this week. Right, yeah, they had some of those bad third downs, but they also, I felt like more than usual, we saw some guys making some plays too. Uh, You know, you saw Lowry making some big plays and stuff, and just some other guys on the roster that... I mean, if you're going to do the bend but not break thing, that's what you got to do, and there's that's obviously been lacking this year. Um, the secondary played just okay. It's nice to see Rollins back out there again, and the safeties seem like they're getting better and better. Uh, you, it's hard to not feel optimistic after you know only allowing 13 points, but again, in a blizzard, you kind of had some rough patches too. I, you feel like they're better than they were a month ago, but it's still um, a concern. Like you said, there's some red flags that when you play a good offense, it's going to be pretty bad. Yeah, and Morgan Burnett played pretty well. You mentioned the safeties. He forced, I, I think he forced that fumble, but if he didn't, he def, he recovered it. And Yeah, you wonder what happens when you play a team that has more weapons. Philadelphia was completely punchless and showed how good they were when they got obliterated by a pretty bad Bengals team yesterday. And then, you know, we, we know about Houston, and they're kind of on their own three-game skid right now. And Seattle played well yesterday, but I still am not all that afraid of that offense and if Russell Wilson is banged up, there's maybe a chance to hold them down. But um, the, the, this defense is doing okay the last couple of games, but it's still we're not that far removed from four straight 30-point games that they gave up. And it's Clay Matthews is just rough right now. And I think that his days as an elite outside pass rusher are over. And I think his best days ahead of him, or if he wants to stay in this league for a long time as a starter and a pro bowler, I think he's going to have to become a middle linebacker, whether he likes it or not. And regardless of all the um, limitations that we have on offense right now at the skill position players, the most 
glaring weakness of this team is they do not have one game-changing playmaker left on that defense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I have a hard time saying that Clay maybe athletically can't come back to looking a little better than he has the last two weeks just because you know he's banged up. But that's the thing, though. He's never not banged up, so you can't. Yeah. Make it make that excuse for this guy every single season because that's always going to be the case, and that's very evident at this point. And it's not going to get better in his 30s. Right, right. He's getting up there, too, all of a sudden. So I agree. You've got – even Nick Perry's kind of quieted down. He was sort of that guy early in the year when they were winning a little bit more, and now he's gone, too. It's really Clinton Dix has kind of become maybe that number one guy, and that's not necessarily a great thing. He's playing better. Um, Yikes. But, yeah, there's not much out there for a consistent guy you can expect to make a big play. When Clinton Dix is your playmaker, that felt a little bit like in the mid-2000s when the Packers were average to bad and everybody touted up Nick Barnett like this elite player yeah. because we had nothing else on that defense. That's a good point. Yeah, they're very reminiscent of that. You're like, I guess it's that guy because <laughs> yeah. he recovered a couple of fumbles and got like a pick and a few sacks. I guess he's, he's kind of the de facto leader or best player back there. Yeah, I guess we'll take it. We got no other choice. Um, so do you think they'll hold up against Seattle and uh, the rest of the schedule? I mean, it's not like they have any big-time tough offenses to play, and really even including Dallas, who's mainly just an incredibly efficient offense. Outside of the Falcons, there really isn't this scary uh, offense that's going to drop 40 on you in the NFC. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not feeling real good about even that Seattle offense. They put up 40 yesterday, and I don't think that we're a whole lot better than that Panthers defense either. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I don't feel too scared against the Bears and the Vikings, uh, and you get the Lions again. So I, you, you've got a shot for sure to win. You know, I'd say probably three out of four there. Yeah, but I'm. I think we're lucky with the schedule we have, and we're going to be in a situation maybe like. Um, last year where you get in and if you don't get blessed with playing the Redskins in the first round you could have kind of an ugly loss <laughs> well let's transition to that talk because I, I didn't have a whole lot left about this game but uh, they have Seattle Chicago Minnesota Detroit left on the schedule uh, as it stands right now so Detroit beating New Orleans was a big win for them and really makes the game against Seattle much more important than it would have been had Detroit lost but if the Packers win 10 games, they win the rest of um, their schedule. If Detroit loses even one more, and they still have to go to Dallas and to New York to play the Giants, then the Packers would win the division beating Detroit. And a 10-6 and Packer team actually has a better chance to make the playoffs as a wild card than it's really been uh, talked about in the uh, national media and even locally. Um Obviously, with Atlanta and Tampa, there's some problems there, but they beat the Giants in a head-to-head. The Redskins, with that tie, means that basically the Packers head-to-head with the Redskins could not come into play. Uh, so they they have some paths to that sixth seed as a 10-6 and six team, and I would say if they were able to win 10 games, their, their odds are pretty good of going into the playoffs. For me, I want to see what they do with Seattle. Um, if they beat Seattle, I think this team would have a ton of confidence. But that last game against Detroit, I think it... My sense, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that a lot of Packer fans are almost treating that as a foregone conclusion, that if we get to that game with the division on the line, that we're going to beat the Lions. And my thought is, you have a Detroit team that hasn't won a division in 23 years, hosting the team that has tormented them for a quarter century, and the last time they played in that building, we blew a 20 to nothing lead and lost on a Hail Mary on an untimed down after a iffy penalty. I could see them, if they get the chance, running up the score like Tom Osborne's Nebraska Cornhuskers and beating the Packers 70-25. to yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's still the Lions, so you wonder how they'll react in a situation like that. But um, I don't know. I, that wild card, I, I'm not feeling good about that. I, I think I would be really surprised if this team went 4-0. I think 3-1 is basically the ceiling at this point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think you beat both Detroit in Detroit and beat Seattle and beat a, you know, a, a desperate Vikings team, too. Um, that's going to be a, a tough hill to climb. But I... I I do feel still okay about the division, though. I mean, I I don't trust Detroit to win all the rest of those games, and you put yourself in a good position. So, they're they're not in a bad spot right now. I I kind of do think the wild card's out of the question, though. Yeah, I think the the wild card's only in play if they go ten and six, right? Uh, and I guess that's what I was saying. If they lose to Seattle, they're they're in pretty big trouble. I 
I have hopes, obviously, and uh, this team has always played well this time of year, and for whatever reason, the dominoes have always seemed to fall in their favor, and you don't go to the playoffs seven straight years when you're not 12-4 and four every year like New England without some help and some uh, strange cosmic uh, forces that always seem to fall your way, but... I, this team just it doesn't seem to be as talented as some of those others. And even if they beat Seattle, I wouldn't be surprised if Jordan Howard dropped 175 and three touchdowns on them and they lost to the Bears. Mm-hmm, absolutely. All right, so um, we'll see what happens. Somebody asked me today if I thought they would make the playoffs in my heart of hearts, and I, I took the easy way out and said I, I'll let you know after this week. If, if Detroit, I think Detroit has Jack. No, they already played Jacksonville. Who does Detroit have this week? The Bears. Uh, so they're probably not going to lose that one. But if Green Bay beats Seattle, I'm going to have very high hopes next week. But I think until then, I have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, not only for the win on the record, but just kind of feeling better about this team because our last two matchups, although they're wins and everybody's feeling good, it, they, they weren't much for tests either. Yeah. So I, I think if you can show you can beat Seattle, I think that's a big sign because right now I look at them as – um, probably the second best team in the NFC, and a, a good defense that's going to challenge your offense, which is seemingly finding things out now and kind of figure out how to move the ball again, and a defense that's very vulnerable. So if you can somehow beat Seattle, I, I start to feel pretty good. Will your uh, expectations for the rest of the year matter on how they beat Seattle? Like, let's say they beat them seventeen to fourteen. Um, would that make you feel maybe not quite as good as if somehow this offense was? able to finally, for the first time in years, score on Seattle and beat them 34-21 to 21 or something yeah, like that? Yeah, I, I think that matters less in a game like this because really when you're facing a team of that caliber, the win's really the only thing that matters. Whereas if you know, you're playing against Chicago or the Texans or something like that and you win ugly, I feel bad. But really, if you can find a way to beat Seattle, I feel pretty good. Sure, that's, that's fair. Jim Nance and Phil Simms are just terrible. Like, I'm sure they're nice guys and whatever, but it sounds like their commentary was ripped right from the Madden game. There's nothing of substance, especially having John Gruden last week and then having them this week. It's They're not good. I don't know why they're the number one team, especially I think they have Ian Eagle and Dan Fouts, who are a really good team, as backup to them. I just I don't know how Phil Simms has been a lead commentator since two years after he retired. We've had 20 years of this guy on NBC and CBS in every broadcast, every major AFC broadcast, and I just don't get it. He's abysmal, and Jim Nance doesn't have enough personality to add to it. Right. They're, they're my like my one of my least favorite crews, and I, there's worse ones out there, but the fact that they're so prominent, it just like makes me frustrated. If I could get rid of one commentator in the game right now, it would probably be, be Sims just to get him off of that main stage. I just I don't get it. It makes me almost like hate being on CBS and hating the CBS coverage just because you know that you're going to have to listen to the, to those guys. And even before yeah. that, when it was Gumble doing a lot of the games, yeah. he wasn't very good either. I mean, they just they just have a pretty poor roster of announcers. Well, and Nance is not so bad in college basketball because they got him with Reggie Miller. and Yeah, you got to have a good guy next to somebody like or, that. I'm sorry, not Reggie Miller. They have him with Grant Hill and somebody else. But uh, but they do a good job. Um, yeah, that that's a good point. CBS has really never had... That good of guys. And what's so frustrating is that for the first few years that they had it on CBS, they had Vern Lundquist and Dan Deerdorf as their backup team, which I'm like, that's such a better team than. I take those guys right now. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I think then they had Deerdorf with Dick Enberg, which would still be good. Uh, but yeah, that, that Lundquist team, how the heck was that not your first stringers? You got Gumble and Sims out there just having. Yeah. Most boring thing ever. I'm sure, actually, people on this podcast, I'm sure, care about uniforms and commentary and weather as much as we do. It, it probably doesn't matter to a lot of football fans, but that's that's the important stuff, isn't it? That's right, the subtle things. Yeah, who cares if you win or lose? It's all how the game sounds by the broadcasters. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the big one this weekend. The Packers won, hooray. Uh, the Wisconsin Badgers were in the Big Ten Championship game against Penn State. They had a 28-7 to lead with the ball in Penn State territory late in the first half and still ended up losing 38-31. to uh, It's the biggest lost lead uh, in the history, uh, lost lead to lose in the history of the conference championship games in the NCAA. Uh, I, I still am not sure how it happened. 
Yeah, I'm not either. Um, especially with that defense, to see them fall apart like that, I think is really hard to fathom that happening. Um, I don't know if Penn State just figured out. I, I there's it's maybe less um, easy to figure this out than it has been to figure out what's wrong with this Packers offense or this Packers team. It just it's so strange that all of a sudden what I felt like was the best defense in in college football, if not one at number two probably behind Alabama mm-hmm. and to just completely crumble like that is unfathomable <laughs> so I, I, I guess I feel a little bit better about it see, having seen Penn State get left out you're still in kind of a comparable bowl to them yeah but it, uh, that's a painful loss and it's it's a weird one and the batters have a lot in their recent history but that one was pretty tough yeah and it would have been weird because they would have had to play USC for the second straight year in a bowl game which would have been kind of interesting although it would have been really cool to see that at the Rose Bowl. I felt a lot better yesterday after seeing Penn State left out as well and um, the only thing I can explain is that deep ball had been completed quite a bit against the Badgers all year even against crap teams like Purdue and Illinois they'd always seem to get behind them for one or two a game and when you have a team that has big wide receivers and a pretty good quarterback uh, it seems like you know they'd hit a few more of those. I'm not sure why they adjusted or didn't adjust and just let it keep happening over and over. But the only explanation that makes any sense is, of course, they would blow the biggest lead in conference championship game history because they're a team from Wisconsin. Yep. <laughs> it's <laughs> and and I I know we sound entitled or I sound entitled sometimes on this show and I complain about those things and people have said that to me before. But I actually feel like I'm I'm a, for the most part, you know, during the games, everybody gets a little crazy when you want it so bad. But I don't expect all of my favorite teams to win championships. I never expect the Badgers to ever win a national championship in football. And really, I don't in basketball either. But it's the tease that we keep getting from these Wisconsin sports teams that's bothering me. I didn't expect the Brewers to do anything in 2014. And if they'd have gone 82-80, and it would have been fine with me. What I did also not expect is for them to be in first place for six months and then not even make the playoffs at the end of the year and have the Badgers go to the Final Four two years in a row and one lose on a buzzer beater and the other one in the championship game blow a nine-point lead with ten minutes to play. And then the Badgers, I didn't expect anything from them this year. And if they would have lost 38-24, to I would have been fine. Penn State's a good team. We had a great season. But to have the tease of for a minute they're thinking, hey, we might actually have a legitimate case at the playoff and then not even win the Big Ten is just, uh, can't you just do what the Bucks did in Game 6 against the Bulls a couple years ago and lose by 60? Like, come on, man. <laughs> yeah, you need to just be a bigger Bucks fan. They're at eight seed every single year. It always goes <laughs> the first round. It's perfect. Like, you never expect anything, and they're, they just deliver at a mediocre level every single year. Except for this year, probably now. They're looking really good. So, Yeah, there's I had a... A news alert on my phone that said basically that Jason Kidd's the smartest guy in history and that the offense they're running with Giannis is going to revolutionize the NBA, which seems to be pretty strong to say about uh, what they're nine and eight now and won four in a row. I think that's a little strong. Yeah, it's it's also very hard to find a seven foot guy who can handle the ball like that. I mean, maybe in twenty years from now that's more of a regular thing, but I think it's hard to revolutionize um, your offense in that position when he's basically one of like two guys in the NBA who could do it. Well, don't worry, he'll win the MVP and they'll be a one seed next year, and then they'll uh, have a twenty point lead with five minutes to play in uh, Game Seven of the NBA Finals, and then we'll lose. Uh... No, you you don't think that'll happen. <laughs> Right now, I'd say I hope so, but then, of course, next year, I'd be absolutely devastated to see that. Well, they got the Spurs at home tonight, so I'm definitely going to watch that over Monday Night Football. Oh, yeah. So Yeah, I, I got to read this on here just because I thought it was hilarious and it didn't make any sense to me, but the the, the headline on ESPN right now, um, uh, it's not on there anymore, but I think I can remember it for uh-huh. this game, was there are two types of quarterback in tonight's Monday Night Football game. It said bad, and in parentheses, Jets, and Andrew, and in parentheses, Luck. So, <laughs> what the hell does that mean? And that's what I was trying to figure out. I couldn't I couldn't understand it, but I thought it was hilarious, too. So I didn't know if it was a pun on something, but it was bad and Andrew were the two types of quarterbacks tonight. Is it, are they trying to do the bad luck pun? Uh, I don't It didn't even look like that. I, I, yeah, two kinds of quarterback. Luck on Monday night. Oh, I got it. Okay, I read the headline wrong. It makes more sense now. Bad and but that's still Two really kinds of luck. Bad luck and Andrew luck. Oh, gotcha. And they actually okay. fixed now that I'm I'm correct. They fixed their headline since then. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. So that first one makes no sense. And also, 
bad luck. That's a a bit uh, heavy praise for the way that Ryan Fitzpatrick has been in this career. I think yeah, just horrible. Yeah, bad player. I think is more uh, apt to describe what he's been through. Uh, so Wisconsin takes on Western Michigan in the Cotton Bowl. Um, definitely a winnable game, but it, it feels like the ultimate trap where you really can't improve your standing at all and you can make yourself look kind of foolish. Uh, luckily, that'll probably be the least watched of those games. And um, I don't know, are you afraid of that uh, letdown at all? Not really. I mean, I think a team like Western Michigan, they're a, you know not a Power 5 team, but they're at least undefeated. So I feel like... Um, I don't know. I don't. I think if you lose that game, it's not as big of a deal. Especially like you said, it's not the, not quite the Rose Bowl. So I think yeah. you could maybe sneak through this thing if you lose and not really have it hurt your program too much. But if you win, I mean, you beat an undefeated team. Uh, yes, it's a MAC team or whatever. But uh, I I don't think it's I don't think it's it maybe has the high ceiling or floor that you might think it does. I think you're right. At first, I was really worried about that trap mentality, but then. Outside of Boise State beating Oklahoma because it was the first one and it was such a dramatic game and the dude proposed to his girlfriend after it was over, everybody remembers that game and and arguably everybody remembers the Appalachian State beating Michigan Mm -hmm. at the big house. But outside of that, I mean, when Utah was still in the Mountain West, didn't they beat Alabama? Yep. And nobody cares about that. Um, Right in the middle of their dynasty, Alabama lost that game and nobody really cares. And didn't... did. Florida beat Cincinnati or Vice? Louisville beat Florida, I think. Was Louisville it? beat Florida. That's right. They whooped them. The Bridgewater one, yep. Yeah, so, see, we can hardly remember those, and we are big football fans. So I think if they, if Western Michigan beat Wisconsin, I, it would probably be big for them, and maybe it would be big because it was a MAC team, but ultimately it probably wouldn't matter too much. Right. Okay, um, not a whole lot left to say about uh, this weekend. I guess we could talk briefly about the college football playoff. Do you think they got it right? That's tough. I, I guess I feel like maybe. I do feel a little satisfied that they moved Penn State ahead of Michigan. I was a little concerned about that, that if the Badgers won and Michigan somehow made it in, if they had the chips fall in the right place. Um, I felt a little better about that, even though they they got left out, but... It's it's hard to swallow Ohio State making it in when Penn State doesn't, but I, I, they had the extra loss. They had kind of better strength of schedule. I guess I can understand it. I if I could make a change, and maybe just because I want to see the underdog in there, I want to see Penn State get a shot at it. That might be the only thing I change, but I can't really argue against Ohio State either. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. It, it's tough because Penn State won, which uh, won, which was probably the best conference in the nation this year by a pretty comfortable margin. Um, the thing that just bothered me about this whole process, I think if I was on the committee, I would have picked the four they picked. The part that bothered me about a lot of the discussion and some of what you're hearing from the committee is a lot of the cronyism that college football has been accused of having for a hundred years kind of seems to shine through in that when Ohio State was a conference champion in number six, people talked about how winning a conference title was so important. Now Ohio State didn't win the conference, and it's not all of a sudden important anymore. You imagine that if a Wisconsin 11-1 team who had lost to a 10-2 Ohio State Big Ten champion without playing him in the championship game, you have a hard time believing Wisconsin would be still in the finals. Yeah, there's no way. There's no way, and it's not like I heard all this talk about Michigan when they were trying to keep Michigan in the running. Well, they lost to Ohio State in overtime. That's you know almost as good as a win. But Wisconsin getting no credit for doing the same against Ohio State? It, mm-hmm. Ohio State did not beat any of the three Big Ten best teams in regulation. They lost one, and they won the other two in overtime. And overtime in college football is a bunch of BS anyways. It's not even real football. It's it's a, it's a 25-yard penalty kickoff, basically. And that just really bothered me. And the other part is that Washington, Penn State, and Michigan were like number four. Which of them is going to be number four? When Clemson, with one loss played nobody in the non-conference, had a one probably the worst loss of anybody that's in the playoff, and their spot was completely secured because they have a Heisman candidate on offense, they have a big-time program from the ACC that's on the East Coast all the time. The ACC was dreadful this year, and if they would have been left out, or been in and Washington left out with the exact same record, winning probably the second-best conference in the country, that would have been even worse than Penn State getting left out as it were. Right. In my opinion, so yeah, and they somehow move up. I know they had the the extra game, um, 
but yeah, their, their schedule was not comparable to like Ohio State's or Penn State's either. So it was surprising to yeah. kind of see them jump there too. Or Washington's. The Pac-10 or Pac-12 was way better than the ACC. Yeah. And their big win was Louisville, who turned out to be not that good of a team. But it is what it is. Who do you think is going to win it? Is it uh, probably Alabama comfortably? Yeah, it's theirs to lose. Um, you would think at least at this point. I I just think they're. It's not necessarily that I think they're untouchable in terms of being that good of a team. I I think they've had better Alabama teams in the last five years or so at times, but I just don't feel that good about two, three, or four. Um, I think all those teams aren't really that great and haven't looked that convincing all year really yet for most of the season. Mm-hmm. So I think Alabama rolls. And I think Washington's looked a lot better as of late. They, they've created separation against the teams that they're playing in, and they've won big in all of their recent games, but it sucks that the teams that are left are all of these kind of finesse teams, and that plays right into what Alabama does best. You would have loved to see them play a Michigan or something like that who really could stand with them toe-to-toe and play a smash-mouth t- style of game against them. But but saying that, Michigan might be the only team in the country that could have gone toe-to-toe with Alabama in that manner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe Ohio State can. We'll see. But the fact that they were you know against kind of similar teams like uh, like Michigan for most of that game or Wisconsin or even Michigan State – um, they were really able to hold down Ohio State. So I just feel like when you run into Alabama's defense, you're in for, for a hurting. Yeah. Uh, the only thing I'm thinking is that the SEC, for years we always thought that the SEC just had phenomenal defenses, and then that first year of the college football playoff, we realized, no, it's actually that the uh, the SEC just has some kind of bad offenses, and their defenses are pretty much the same as everyone else's when Ohio State hung 42 on them, but I think this year's team might be a little different, and I don't think this Ohio State team is as good as that 2014 one. Yeah, and that's really your only hope if you're rooting against Alabama, which I guess I would say I am, just because I always like to see somebody different win, and they always win it, is that you know a team like that, that Ohio State really came in and shocked them with the deep ball and hitting Devin Smith and, and 12-gauge throwing the ball down the field. Basically, all three of those other teams didn't have quarterbacks that can do that. So if you're coming from the SEC where you play LSU and Florida and these teams that can't pass for anything, um, and you have three really good quarterbacks, you could maybe see them getting caught by somebody. Yeah, and it is kind of, having you having said that, it is pretty silly of me to question whether Clemson can hang with Alabama when they lost to them by, what, two points in the championship last year? Right. So we'll see what happens, but uh, hopefully we get some good games because those New Year's Eve games last year were just dreadful, and now that they're on the weekend, everybody can actually watch them, so that's good. All right, um, before we get to our picks, I just wanted to talk some really uh, quick side discussion, and uh, that is Tom Brady is in the news today because he won his 201st game, which puts him number one all-time as the winningest quarterback, passing Peyton Manning, who was at 200, and Brett Favre, who was at 199. And without a doubt, that is an incredibly impressive feat. Uh, but one thing I did want to look up just out of my own curiosity, and it doesn't paint Brady in, in that bad of a light at all, but the thing that stuck out to me, maybe to talk up Brett Favre a little bit, is I get the sense that uh, Brady and Manning, who keep passing Favre and all these things, they're getting this credit for being these great quarterbacks, and they absolutely deserve every bit of that praise. But I get the sense that sometimes Brett Favre gets treated kind of as this uh, bumbling buffoon who just played a really long time and happened to accumulate all of these. And one of the things I wanted to look at is the level of competition. So without a doubt, Tom Brady and Manning, they deserve it. They won 200 games. But then I thought to myself, they played in such terrible divisions for most of their career. And I just wanted to compare it to Favre. And here are just some quick numbers. Uh, Brady, in 15 seasons in the NFL, um, he only had six other seasons where a 10-game winner was also in his division. Only seven other teams from the Patriots' division in 15 seasons. So that's a lot of teams over the course of 15 seasons. Actually went on to make the playoffs. In Peyton Manning's 17 seasons, he had 18 other teams make the playoffs from his division, so one a year. In Brett Favre's 19 seasons, he had 26 other teams make the playoffs from his division. And... He only had three of his 19 seasons where one of his division rivals didn't make the playoffs. 
And that's not a slam on Brady and Manning because you still have to play those games. But it just, to me, is maybe more of a uh, talking up of Brett Favre that he was able to get to 199 wins playing in some brutal, brutal divisions for a lot of his career. Yeah, it's funny because you don't really think of the NFC North or Central, depending on when in his career you're talking about, of being that great of a division. But one thing that we had that, or even him as the Vikings had Mm -hmm. that those other two guys never had was a very good or elite other team in the division, which it felt like we always had. Yeah. Um, you had the, you know, the, the good Lions teams through the mid nineties. You had the Vikings in the late nineties and then kind of the Bears and Vikings swapping off a little bit in the early two thousands. And really, Brady has never seen that. None of those teams other than you could maybe throw that two year Jets fan in there as being even above average. Mm-hmm. And then for the Colts, I mean, he just, just beating up on the Texans and the Jags and, and stuff for all of those years too. So they just really never had that other team. Yeah, it's almost, you know, automatic wins for them and the there has not been a non-Patriots AFC East playoff participant since 2010. And it looks like it's possible that that's going to happen again this year. For Favre, it's just amazing that if you think of how much success they were able to have, and that's a home-and-home home with Denny Green's Vikings, Barry Sanders' Lions, the Tony Dungy, Tampa Bay Bucks, a few times where the Bears were good, where you had like that, you know, a, a few of those teams, like you said, and then later on having home and homes with the Lovey Smith, Rex Grossman. Uh, you know, it sounds funny to say Rex Grossman, but he was their quarterback when they were a really good team. And for them to survive that and be able to do what they did in 1997, they went 13 and three and clinched a first round bye and the division with weeks to go in a division that sent three other teams to the playoffs. I mean, that's just incredible. You don't see the New England Patriots having a team like the Packers had in, in 2001 where the Packers go 12-4, and beat the only other team in the division that was any good, and that was the Bears twice, and then have the Bears win 13 of their other 14 games and win the division anyways. Right. Um, the one thing I did want to point out, too, is that made me look at um, the divisions and kind of the cool rivalries we had, and... Since the realignment, it's really gotten a lot easier. And even for Peyton Manning, who had the um, four, I'm sorry, having 18 teams uh, make the playoffs over his uh, career within their division, 10 of those 18 were in his first four seasons in the old AFC East. Yep. And so it's kind of crazy with that. And to me, if they hadn't realigned the NFL, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning would have been playing a home-and-home series every single year. And I looked at the division winners, and the average record of a division winner from 78 to 2001 in the 16, the, the six division, 16-game seasons was 11.5 wins. It's identical now since the realignment, so you still have to be as good on average to win the division. But... Now there's a nine or fewer win champion on average every season. And back then when there was six divisions, uh, there was a nine or seven or nine to seven uh, game winner, division winner, uh, once every three years. And so I know it's never going to go back, but you wonder if the quality of the NFL and some of the malaise and crap games we see now would go away if they had more um, bigger divisions with more good teams playing each other more often. Right, it seems weird when you only maybe have one or two less teams in a division, but you could basically now have such a better chance of having just an entire poor division, um, which we're seeing in a couple divisions every year. So you you like basically have a whole division that you kind of have to care about because you got two teams that are seven and eight and fighting for the playoffs against each other. But really, I mean, those teams would be at you know the bottom of a division with other good teams, so it's all still relevant. Yeah. So, you know, you get these Texans-Colts or whatever matchups you have to watch now that I guess matter, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. the teams aren't any good. Well, and at the end of the season, they like to set it up and they withhold these division games so they can have these Week 17 showdowns, but they end up being showdowns between two teams that probably wouldn't have even been in the playoff race if they still had bigger divisions. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I guess it's drama, but it, it feels like transparent fake drama in a lot of ways. It was I, I, This game will always stick out in my head, but I think it was, what, Seahawks-Rams? like three yeah. or four years ago that they were kind of in that I think it was Charlie Whitehurst playing I don't even remember who else was in that game but yeah it just it was a weird feeling of it's like they're kind of putting this off as a big game and I sort of want to watch it but they're you know they're fighting for seven wins <laughs> it's just unbelievable <laughs> 
Well, and they could have that again with Houston and Tennessee playing each other the last game Probably of the year will. this year. Yeah. In the 24 years uh, that they had the 16-game schedule and six divisions, there was one uh, eight-game winner in a division that had five teams, and that was the NFC Central in 1978 when the Vikings and Packers tied at 8-7-1, and and the Vikings got the tiebreaker because they won the other game. But there were no eight and eight five uh, five team winners with an eight and eight record. So you, you can't go back, and especially now with thirty two teams, the ninety nine through two thousand one when they had the six team AFC Central was a disaster. That division basically played their own schedule, and they beat up on bad teams, and they were the number one seed with a thirteen or more wins all three of those years. So you can't have six team divisions. That's just ridiculous. But um, I mean, they don't care. They're making a ton of money, but I think the quality of NFL for guys like us who are just watching for entertainment, it definitely was better when they had fewer than 31 teams. Mm -hmm. All right, so uh, none of that matters, but I just thought it was interesting for uh, uh, some of our fans. We haven't talked to sign of some old crazy stuff in a while. Uh, Let's blow through the Week 14 schedule very quickly. I did put NFL in front of it this time, so I didn't get any pregnancy uh, (laughs) advice. Uh, the best Thursday night game we've had in a long, long time, the Raiders at the Chiefs. And I believe the Chiefs already beat the Raiders once this year, so this is a big game for both teams. Yeah, there's some, there's some actually some pretty good games on the slate this week. Uh, and I, I like this one. I think I might actually watch this entire game, which might be the first <laughs> time this year that's happened. There you go. Um, so I... Th- Man, it's, the Chiefs look pretty good, but I'm having such a hard time picking against the Raiders here now, too. Um, I guess I'm going to go with Oakland. I'll keep riding them. I'm going to go with Kansas City just because the Raiders have had such a hard time getting started in recent weeks. And you think that if they fall down big like they have each of the last two weeks, that they're not coming back in Kansas City like they would at home in front of a friendly crowd against some mediocre teams. So uh, Kansas City also has been a great closer uh, in recent weeks. They've been able to, on the road, beat two pretty good perhaps playoff-bound teams by coming back and winning in a hilarious fashion yesterday, um, if you're maybe not a big fan of the Matty Ice talk. Uh, but I think Kansas City's going to win this for those reasons. Okay. Which would put them on the inside track for the two seed, wouldn't it? Right. I, I would think whoever wins this game probably locks up a playoff spot already. This is uh, for the division and for, for the the wild card, for the playoffs, whatever. This is huge for both of these franchises need it so bad. Yeah, definitely. The uh, Redskins at the Eagles, which is pretty much an elimination game for Philadelphia if they're not eliminated already. Yeah, and I'll go Washington. I think Philly's um, completely hit a wall. I, I think they're kind of in trouble now the rest of the year. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. Carson Wentz looks pretty bad uh, as of late. The Texans at the Colts, one of those important games you just talked about. Yeah, funny. <laughs> um, I, sheesh. Uh, I I guess I'll go with the Colts here. Uh, it's Texans would have to what that'll be four straight losses for them now, but yeah. that that offense is just so inept. I guess I I'll pick the Colts. Yeah, I'll pick the Colts as well. They've got some injuries on the defense in Houston, and uh, maybe it's just me wanting to see Houston dead and buried. I'm so tired of them being around the playoffs the last few years. We might finally get rid of Cincinnati this year. Let's get rid of Houston too and start anew. Right. I'd, I'd much rather see Andrew Luck trying to sling it around in the playoffs or Marcus Mariota. No more Texans. Yeah, absolutely. They should write that into the bylaws of the league. The Texans get one shot every five years, tops. Uh, speaking of teams we don't like, the Bengals visit Cleveland. Is this the week? I, I'm going to say yes. I, you picked the Browns like three times this year. <laughs> I don't think I have one time. I I don't think they're bad enough to go winless, and I think the Bengals had kind of a smoke and mirrors blowout yesterday. So I... I'll stupidly pick the Browns at home to get this win. I'm picking the Browns, too. Nice. <laughs> um, yeah, Cincinnati has not been good. and it. Matt and I have, have been uh, not long on time a lot of these Mondays, so a lot of our picks we've just sent to each other, and then we'll tally them up at the end of the year. So if I didn't pick the Browns that many times on the show, I have been picking them quite often, I think, in the last month. Uh, this time I'm feeling good about it, although part of me is wondering that if they go 0-16, that to get the stink off the franchise, um, even more so than they usually stink, they'll get rid of these absolutely atrocious uh, Bowling Green uniforms. And so part of me sort of wants them to go 0-16. Yeah, the uh, if that's what it takes, yeah, I guess I'd root for the Bengals in this game. I agree. I, I I was on board with maybe a small 
jersey change when they did that, but I did not like the route they took with those. No, they looked terrible. They look like hand-me-downs to uh, like a JV team from uh, yeah. once the high school team gets uh, or the varsity team gets new unis. The Broncos at Titans in what might uh, be a decent game. I'll take. I'll, I'll pick first on this one. I'm going to take the uh, Titans on this one. Okay. And I was so on the fence on this one. I think I'll just choose the opposite of you, just because I could see the Titans winning. That they're good and young and a little more talented than we thought. But that Broncos defense it can probably stifle them a little bit. I'll go Denver. You don't trust the uh, brilliance of Mike Malarkey off a of bye. Not not quite as much. No, I don't think so. Okay. The Cardinals at Dolphins. Yuck. Yuck. <laughs> uh, oh man. I'll take. Uh, I guess I'll take the Dolphins. I don't know why. Maybe they're. Well, I'll take them because they're at home. I have no other good reason. Yeah, that's that's a good enough reason. I, I guess I'll go cards. Um, I, I have no reason for that either. <laughs> uh, for some reason, just because they've got like Fitz and um, a couple other playmakers, I, I just sort of feel a little bit better about them. Usually, I'm sad to see a whole bunch of mediocre non-playoff teams go, but there's so many teams this year I have absolutely no interest in watching. And I won't be sad to see either of these teams uh, bite the dust and uh, clear the way for playoff teams to be on my TV. Right. Uh, the Bears at Lions. I, I, I'll take the Lions, but I wouldn't be completely shocked if they lost because they just seem like a weird team. Yeah, they are, but I, they, they keep winning now, and I, I think I like the Lions here too to win by a couple touchdowns. Uh, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Uh, I think the Steelers are a better team, but they also are a very Jekyll and Hyde team, and this feels like a game they lose. I'll take the Bills. All right, I'll I'll go Steelers. Uh, that Bills defense is pretty bad, and the Steelers have been too, but at least they clamped down a little yesterday, so whatever. I'll pick the Steelers. Did you watch any of that Giants-Steeler game? Uh, a little bit. It was really chippy towards the end. Like, they were trying to twist off Le'Veon Bell's head and stuff, and then, Yikes. yeah, it was it was real bad. And I couldn't decide if I thought the Giants were really dirty, because I, I, I caught it sort of at the end, but at some point, if every team is chippy when they're playing the Steelers, who's at fault? Right. The Chargers at Panthers. Ooh, um, man, there's a lot of tough, just mediocre games. Like, if I could pair some of these teams up against somebody that would be, like, an impossible-to-choose game, I would have picked most of these ones, I think. <laughs> um, man, that's tough. Carolina's just sliding. I, I'll take them at home. I, I don't know. San Diego's probably a better team, but I just I still can't quite swallow the, how bad the Panthers have been. Yeah, of all those kind of crummy, mediocre games, this one I actually would want to watch. Yeah, it might be good. I'm going to take San Diego because I think the Panthers are dangerously close to that breaking point where they're just going to completely self-destruct. And uh, San Diego, if 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 anything, they're very good at handling their poise when they lose because they do it quite often. And so I think uh, Phillip Rivers always comes to play every game, and uh, I'll take him there. That sounded like the most like radio hack justification <laughs> for... <laughs> A pick, but I'll take the Chargers anyways. Uh, Vikings at Jaguars. Ooh, I, I guess you got to go Vikings here, right? I, yeah, the I Jaguars guess. seem to have absolutely nothing. They basically just didn't need to throw a pick six yesterday to win that game <laughs> against Denver, who was you know without their starting quarterback, and they, that's what they did. Um, <laughs> so I'll go Minnesota. I just imagine them going in and Gus Bradley has on his board no pick sixes and we'll win and they just can't not do it. I mean, basically they lost what? It was twenty to ten, I think, and they threw yeah, a pick like six. That. I mean that's <laughs> Blake Bortles is just somehow so bad now. I don't get how he played so well last year. Yeah, or against the Packers early in the season. Yeah. Well that's easy to understand, but Yeah, that's true. Everybody does that. Um yeah, Minnesota's really bad, but they're not as bad as Jacksonville. So like you said, if they just get out of their own way and don't do anything ridiculously stupid on offense, they'll probably score enough on defense to win. Oh, the Jets at the 49ers. Definitely don't want to watch this game. I'll pick the Jets. The 49ers are one of the worst teams I've ever seen. They might be worse than Cleveland. Yeah, I think you're right. So I think I did I pick the 49ers to get two wins this year or something like that? Uh, something like and that. The Browns to get one, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um and I I'm excited about that cuz they I was completely right about how bad this 49ers <laughs> roster was. I thought I maybe undersold them a little bit, but I picked them last week to beat the Bears and they get throttled by Chicago. <laughs> it's like how does that happen? Um yeah, I'll agree with you on the pick there. I took the Bears in my suicide pick 'em league because I was so confident in uh how bad the 49ers were. Everybody was talking about how well Kaepernick's been playing lately, and I think maybe those are the people that are looking at the fantasy stats maybe or something. 
Yeah. Um, but for somebody to go one of five for what was it four yards or something like that through three quarters is just unimaginable. I think the stat I heard is that neither team completed a pass in the first half, which wow. <laughs> which seems about right. But Jordan Howard played really well, so they at least got something. He's their Sam Congato this year for the Bears. Yeah. The Falcons at the Rams. Uh, Jeff Fisher hilariously got a contract extension for two years. I don't understand. How- yeah, I don't either. It seemed like finally the pressure was all on. You thought he might even lose his job before the year, and he gets an extension. Uh, Falcons had an easy one here. Uh, I agree. The Saints at Tampa Bay. Uh, the Saints play Atlanta twice and Tampa so if the Packers are going to have a reasonable shot at the wild card, uh, I think we need to become pretty big Saints fans here in December. Uh, are they going to get it done? Um, this definitely seems like a Saints win type of a game. So I'll I'll go Saints on the road. I think the Bucks are maybe overperforming a little bit lately. I definitely think the Bucks are overperforming, but I just don't trust New Orleans at all anymore. I I, I don't know. You could very well be right, but maybe Tampa's coming home uh, with some big momentum after winning out West and beating Seattle two weeks ago. The Cowboys at Giants on uh, Sunday Night Football. The Giants, the only team to beat Dallas so far this year. And Dallas clinched a playoff spot yesterday with Washington's loss. Yeah, you wonder if they let off a little bit. And a Giants team that really needs to win to kind of stay in the wild card hunt here. But I, you can't look that bad against that Steelers offense. And I, I can't pick them here. I guess I'll go Cowboys. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you there. And one of the things I heard Packer fans have angst about is that Dallas likely will have nothing to play for by the time they play Detroit. But if they put in their backups, that means Tony Romo and Alfred Morris. So That's true. That's not so bad. How the hell did they just get so good? They were 4-12 and last year with the same roster, and just is Matt Castle just that toxic? I, I would probably say yes to that. Oh, I guess then they had no Ezekiel Elliott, which is a minor detail. Monday Night Football, Ravens at Patriots. Uh, reasonable game. I think the Patriots will probably destroy the Ravens because the Ravens are a paper tiger if there ever were one. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm starting to come around a little bit on the Ravens this year. I, I kind of felt that way at first that when they were, were what, 4-0, and and I just felt like this team's not that good. But in a league full of average teams, I feel like this is one that actually has a pretty good defense, and Flacco's playing pretty well. Um, I'd be a little concerned if this was in Baltimore, maybe, but the Patriots didn't look great in kind of a slow blowout against the Rams. Mm-hmm. No Gronk, but I guess I'll agree and say Pats at home. I guess maybe I take that back a little bit. Their offense is really bad, but they have the number one defense in the NFL yeah. right now. Uh, okay, I still don't think they're very good. I'll take uh, the Patriots. Uh, but you're right, they've won four of their last five, so they're coming around a little bit. But granted, that was against uh, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and Miami. Um, uh, whatever. All right, and then the final one, uh, the Seattle Seahawks coming to Green Bay to take on the Packers. Uh, this is a pretty big game for Green Bay, probably not as much for Seattle, who basically just has to not self-destruct and they'll get the two-seed. Uh, who do you got in this one? Um, I I may have like changed my tune a little bit because now that Earl Thomas is out, it appears for the season, which is really um, a blow to them. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. I have a hard time seeing us keeping this one close. To be honest with you, um, I I think that that defense, even without him, is still good enough to hold us down to you know maybe twenty one points or so. I'm really concerned about Jimmy Graham against this defense and even Doug Baldwin kind of ripping them apart a little bit. Um, uh, I, I'm going to pick Seattle and I'm pretty confident about it. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to agree with you. Uh, I feel like if Russell Wilson is even remotely healthy, that they could run, they, they wouldn't even have to throw more than 10 times. They could probably run the read option and run for 250 yards against this, uh, Packer defense the way they've played recently. So, um, yeah, I agree with you, and hopefully the Packers can get some help against Detroit so they can stay in this race. And either way, they'll be in it after this week, but it'll get pretty grim if they're three games back of Detroit with three to play. <laughs> right. Uh, but uh, we'll see what happens. But I, I think the Packers need to help their own cause, and I don't know if they're capable of doing that against a team like Seattle. Yeah, I mean, you basically just have to hope your defense can somehow play above its level a little bit, and Seattle has one of those weird offensive games where they just can't seem to get much going. But it's hard to it's hard to fathom that with what we've seen from our defense this year. Yeah, and it's it's tough when you're the Packers because that tends to work against you at Lambeau Field. It's a lot of those games we see for the uh, for Seattle are either in the division against a familiar foe or against a team that they really can't get up to play, whereas it, you would imagine it's hard for a team to sleepwalk through a game against the Packers at Lambeau. Right. 
But there's always hope, and uh, Aaron Rodgers is playing well, and uh, you know he tends to fuel himself on criticism, and he's certainly got a whole bunch of that over the last couple of years, so maybe he'll turn out one of his better performances and uh, keep this Packers momentum going. Uh, but if not, we'll be here to talk about it anyways, and uh, you can hear us on greengoldforever.podbean.com. You can go there, read uh, a bunch of different blogs we've written over the years, and also uh, listen to the complete archives right on your desktop. Uh, you also can tweet at us, at greengoldforever. That's the number four. I uh, tend to tweet during any Wisconsin sporting events. Also, uh, download the iTunes podcasting app and follow Green and Gold Forever. You'll get our most recent episodes on there. Or, which is an even better option, download the Podbean app where you can follow Green and Gold Forever and get the complete archives all the way back to 2012 and uh, listen to any of those. So you can listen to the Fail Mary game, you can listen to the Collapse in uh, Seattle, or you can listen to probably the most famous Seattle game we covered, their preseason loss to Seattle in 2013. <laughs> So a, a lot of those on there. I I would listen to all of them. Yeah. Um, I got nothing else. Uh, so I guess we'll hope the Packers win, right? Is is that what this show's about? Yeah, we'll we'll hope and wish. <laughs> hopeful and oh, I was gonna say hopeful and wishful. That makes no sense. We'll hope and wish the Packers win. Um, so I guess uh, until then. After that game, we were doing great until I tried to end this, and I just can't figure out what the hell to say. Good night, everyone. We will join you next week, and take care. (laughs) Bye.